Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. This is Dr. J. Buzz von Ornsteiner, forensic psychologist from Copycat Killers, Reels Channel's true crime program about real murders inspired by movies. Be sure to subscribe to our series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Then go to Reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find true crime TV series like this one on Reels Channel. This program contains graphic violence. Your discretion is advised. Money Train, a pulse-pounding thrill ride starring Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, and Jennifer Lopez. But it's also a film that inspires an identical copycat crime just four days after the movie premieres. In the film Money Train, there is a pyromaniac who goes around New York City setting subway booths on fire, which is something that also happened in real life. A copycat crime so bizarre, Congress even takes note. This was a big case. It wasn't long before the politicians got involved. Um, Then-majority leader Bob Dole um, made a statement. The movie apparently contains two scenes nearly identical to the one that occurred in Brooklyn on Sunday. While Money Train delights viewers with its action-packed all-star cast, the movie also inspires pure evil. This was a horrible crime. This was a senseless crime that attracted the attention of the nation. This was a copycat crime. I mean, every single step of this crime was exactly the same. It was one of the first incidents of Hollywood being blamed for these type of copycat killings. And in the weeks that follow, a slew of money train copycat crimes spread across New York City. Was this torching a one-time thing, or were these guys just getting started? It seems like there's a copycat serial arsonist on the loose. There were a lot of similarities between the movie and the crime. It was the same city and the same time of year, same events. In the city that never sleeps, the NYPD turns up the heat to catch the perpetrators. The real-life money train killers are on the loose. It was an all-out manhunt for these guys. Uh, they were not going to get away with this. Not in this city. The NYPD, one of the biggest police forces in America. Among them, an officer named Michael Santo. Sherry Booker, Professor Stevenson University. He's a hardworking cop. He's very passionate about his job, and he's willing to do whatever he has to do to protect the citizens of New York City. In November of 1995, a few days after Thanksgiving, Officer Santo has no idea that one movie will change his life forever. The film Money Train is released and hits theaters with high expectations. Tyler Richardson, film critic. There are a lot of films that often take place in New York, especially during the holidays. The film Money Train was a really fun look at New York City during the holiday times, and it was filled with so many exciting elements. The film stars Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. 
And it almost feels like some kind of a sequel to White Men Can't Jump because that was such a big film that they were in and their dynamic was great. And so everybody was happy to see them come back together for Money Train. Money Train is a buddy cop film about two New York City police officers trying to protect the city's underground transit system. They're transit police officers, and what they do is they're in the stations on the lookout for people jumping turnstiles, and maybe they'll spot some muggings or uh, people who are too drunk, but everything changes for them once one of the token booths gets blown up, and they're right there to witness it. Four days after Money Train is released, New York City police officer Michael Santo is about to live through the film's most violent moments. Lisa Coriel, crime writer. Officer Santo is a hardworking cop. Um, He's new on the force, and so he's kind of the low man on the totem pole, and he's working his way up the ranks. So he's putting in his dues by working the holiday weekend shift. While on duty, Officer Santo works the night shift in the Brooklyn neighborhood of Bedford-Stuyvesant. But in a subway nearby, evil is brewing. Around 1.40 a.m., an explosion in the Kingston Throop Avenue subway station sends a blast of smoke and fire in all directions. I don't think any officer would be prepared to see what Officer Santo saw that day. It was one of the most emotional things that he's ever had to encounter. There'd been an explosion. There's fire. There's smoke coming up from the subway station. Officer Santo is the first one on the scene. As he races toward the station, the token booth operator, Harry Kaufman, stumbles out. What happened to you, sir? The scene was absolute chaos. There was smoke pouring out of the subway stairwell, and Harry came staggering out. I mean, they got to him so quickly, he was literally still smoking. Come on, we got to get him some help, man. I mean, there was even a piece of his shirt burned into his skin. Over 80% of Harry's body is burnt. Harry was screaming in agony. He was begging for help. Help me, please. Help me, please. Call my family. Call my wife. Someone help me, please. Harry kept saying over and over again, they blew up my booth. I can't believe they blew up my booth. Officer Santo knows he needs to act fast. Santo was a young officer, hadn't been on the job that long, and this is what he's experiencing. The situation demands that they had to go out of procedure. They had to act on their emotions because this man was dying right before their eyes. Although Officer Santo is determined to catch whoever did this to Harry, his immediate concern is saving his life. The decision was made to put Harry into the police car to get him to the hospital as quickly as possible without waiting for an ambulance. Time was of the essence. These officers definitely were going against pr- protocol. When you're a police officer, you have to think on your feet. And they made a decision to help save a man's life. Stay awake! Stay awake! We're almost there, man! Stay awake, man! It's probably the bravest thing that this officer could do at that time. As Harry is rushed to the hospital, Officer Santo tries to comfort the victim. There's a bond already. You know, he's the one that brought Harry to the hospital, and I think he's the one that's willing Harry to stay alive. And I think there's also another part of him, the police officer part of him, 
who is also thinking, stay alive, buddy, stay alive so we can get whoever did this to you. Officer Santo successfully gets Harry to the hospital. It's really a miracle that Officer Santo and Harry came together that night. I mean, they're both men, you know, making a living the best they knew how. And this terrible thing happens and both of them come together. But only time will tell if he survives the night. As soon as Harry is stable, detectives from the NYPD rush to his bedside. Harry had second and third degree burns all over his body. And the smoke inhalation was so great that he had to be on a respirator during that time. And he was in excruciating pain. But despite all odds, he's determined to share his horrific story. For the past 22 years, 50-year-old Harry Kaufman has worked as a token booth operator down in the New York subway system. He was a good worker. He um, was dedicated to his job. But Harry's job wasn't the most important thing to him. His heart and soul belonged to his family. Harry would have done anything for his family. Harry usually worked at the Atlantic Avenue station, but he wasn't working there that night because he had volunteered to work overtime over the holiday weekend. He wanted to save money for his son's college education. And if it meant that Harry had to spend more time down in a subway on a holiday, he was willing to do it because sending his son to college was that important to him. But it's at that moment... When Harry's life changes forever. Harry told investigators that the perpetrators were two teens um, who used a bottle to squirt a flammable liquid into his um, booth to ignite it. Even though he is in critical condition, Harry is able to give detectives a description of his assailants. According to Harry, one of the young men was about 18 to 25 years old. He was six feet tall and 200 pounds. He was wearing a brown and green jacket. As far as the second guy, all he knew was he was about five foot six inches tall. Harry provided very important details. I think that's another indication of just how dedicated Harry was to his family. I think that he was determined to at least survive long enough to make sure that whoever had done this wasn't going to get away with it. While Harry's family rushes to his bedside, the NYPD gets to work. You want to be able to save someone. The situation demands that they're much more motivated to try to get that information so then you can go out and catch these people. This isn't the first time the NYPD has dealt with arson attacks in the subway system. In 1988, there was a string of arson attacks on token booths from people who were trying to rob the clerks. But if Harry doesn't pull through, he'll be the first victim to die from one of these attacks in seven years. As detectives scramble for clues, they follow their first lead straight to the box office. Money Train was released just four days prior to the attack on Harry. The similarities between the movie and the attack seem very close. Like, it's pretty right on. 
In Money Train, a pyromaniac terrorizes the city by robbing New York subway token booths and then setting their operators on fire. The maniac, after he would uh, put a hose and pour the gasoline in, he would light a match and uh, ignite the fire and then run off. In the film, Leslie Snipes and Woody Harrelson are assigned to the case, and Jennifer Lopez eventually joins their team. The newly released movie is a popular choice at the theater, bringing in $10 million on its opening weekend. The NYPD can't help but think Harry's attack is likely a copycat crime. They're pretty hard not to compare just because they did happen in the same place and right around the same time, Christmas time. This was a big case. It wasn't long before the politicians got involved. Um, Then-majority leader Bob Dole um, made a statement. Are the money train scenes and the real-life tragedy in Brooklyn just a coincidence? When you get movie and television depictions of criminal activity, it is often copycatted. The fact that it was four days and then the attack happened made it a little too hard not to see the similarities. It's the classic case of life imitating art. And just like the movie, the NYPD will have to catch these rogue pyromaniacs before they attack again. In this movie, everything turns out fine. But in real life, that doesn't always happen. And the longer these guys are on the loose, the more dangerous it becomes for people. Just days after Thanksgiving, New York City residents are terrified by a copycat attack on a local man named Harry Kaufman. 50-year-old Harry Kaufman was working an overtime holiday shift in the New York subway when two people came up to him and squirted a flammable liquid into his booth and set him on fire. Dr. J. Buzz von Ornsteiner, forensic psychologist. It's a public area. Anyone else could have been hurt, but it also was a senseless crime. It did not make sense. The NYPD believes the movie Money Train inspired this cold-hearted act. Money Train is a comedy, and it's also a lot of action. There's a lot of action in the film, and that's what people are attracted to. Now Harry is fighting to survive in the hospital's ICU. This was a big case. It was a shocking case, and it spread like wildfire from local news to national news in no time at all. Are the money train scenes and the real-life tragedy in Brooklyn just a coincidence? Perhaps. But apparently this is not the view of New York City Police Commissioner William Bratton, who says, quote, there seems to be some connection between the movie and the explosions, end of quote. Or as Alan Keeper, the head of the New York Transit Authority, points out, We knew from experience that when you get movie and television depictions of criminal activity, it is often copycatted. We are attracted by action-packed films that are fun. Movies are an escape. And Money Train provided that escape for millions of people. But now that tragedy has occurred off-screen, it's time to find the perpetrators. You have someone that's trapped inside a booth, and then you have robbers who are robbing and killing for very little money. So it seems very callous. The booth is destroyed, but the perps don't get any money. No seasoned criminal would risk everything and get nothing. I would like to believe that in order for you to think you could get away with a pyromaniac scheme from a film, you have to be pretty desperate. 
The perpetrators also may be someone who's been to the theater to see Money Train in the past four days. Money Train is more than just an action adventure or a heist movie because it's got such a, a strong element of comedic timing. Those two, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, just have great chemistry. On the surface, Money Train is a buddy comedy. But the peripheral plot of the film is about as dark as any gruesome thriller. The villain of the movie is a man who goes around uh, blowing up the token booths. He didn't care about who he killed or how many people were affected. Just days after the film is released, real-life victim Harry Kaufman is in critical condition. He had second and third degree burns over 80% of his body. His son said that he was in tremendous pain. Police are lucky because he's still able to tell them um, a little bit about what happened to him, and he describes the two perpetrators as teenage boys. But with over 7 million people living in New York City, finding the attackers before they strike again seems next to impossible. Little does the NYPD know, they're closer than they think. Keep making me proud now. 18-year-old James Irons lives on Fulton Street in Brooklyn's Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood. For James growing up, all he saw was buildings with burned-out windows and broken doors. Uh, this was not the neighborhood that you wanted to grow up in. When you grow up under these circumstances, uh, you, you don't see any hope for the future and you feel stuck. Uh, you, all you see is crime. All you see is drugs. But despite his surroundings, James is a good kid who, for the most part, manages to stay out of trouble. He was raised by his mother and stepfather. He was the youngest of five, and James really tried to please. I mean, he was, he was a kid that really wanted to please his parents. With so many mouths to feed, money can be tight in the Irons household. Complicating matters more is the fact that James is having a hard time at school. He struggled with his studies. Um, he was absent a lot, and that didn't help matters. And eventually that caused James to drop out of school. Dropping out of school in a ninth grade says that James is going to have to figure out a way to survive in the streets. After he drops out, James works odd jobs around his apartment complex for the building's superintendent. He did have a drive to earn money and make something of himself. It would have been very easy for James to just, you know, hit the streets like so many other kids his age and sell drugs. I mean, there was certainly money in it. But that's not what James was about. James knows that life isn't going to be easy. He's young and impressionable. Two things that make him an easy target on the streets. Luckily, he has two loyal friends by his side. Vincent Ellerby and Thomas Malick. Hey, you missed the spot, man. It's very important to feel that you have people who will watch out for you, especially in a neighborhood like Bed-Stuy. They could kind of protect him, look out for him, make him feel that he had some protection. Vincent and Thomas are from the same streets, where they both had a few run-ins with the law. By 18, 
Vincent had already been arrested twice. We don't know what he was arrested for because he was a juvenile and those records are sealed. But people that knew him said he was very volatile. His moods could change on a dime. On the other hand, 19-year-old Thomas is an open book. He has charges of rivalry, possession of a gun, and assault. Vincent and Thomas understand what it's like to survive, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to survive in the neighborhood. Vincent and Thomas have come up with a way to make a little quick cash for Christmas. It's an idea that mimics the popular movie, Money Train. Money Train is about two New York City subway cops who are trying to catch this pyromaniac who's going around blowing up the token booths in the city. The film features Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, but its star power doesn't end there. Robert Blake is another star that was in this film, and that's controversial looking back especially because he was charged for his wife's murder, but later was acquitted. Vincent and Thomas approached James with a plan that you really only see on the big screen. They hatched a plan to rob a subway token taker. Thomas and Vincent wanted James to be the lookout guy because of where he lived. He lived so close to the train station that he would easily seem like he was supposed to be there at that time. The men planned to rob the token booth operator by threatening to set him on fire. Vincent and Thomas have access to a couple of guns and a rifle, but the glass in the token booth is bulletproof. So they have gasoline and matches. And there's no greater threat to a token collector than that combination. It's a threatening act because the person in the toll booth is literally trapped. It's almost exactly how Chris Cooper's character pulled off his robberies in Money Train. But unlike Cooper's character, off screen, James is scared. Vincent and Thomas had both been in, you know, trouble with the law. But for James, this was all new territory. I mean, this was a kid whose only crime to date was hopping over a subway turnstile. You're going to be the lookout. You won't get caught. I promise. James is worried about getting caught, not only because he's never committed a robbery before, but he lives there. He lives in that neighborhood. So it'll be very easy for someone to say, hey, I saw James there. Are you in, dog? Hey. Are you in, man? Come on. That's what I'm saying, man. Although James has reservations, he thinks it's a chance to earn some real money and please his friends. I see James as doing it because they've asked him to do it. And so there is a sense of belonging. He also may have felt there would have been repercussions if he declined their invitation to commit this crime. His friends assure James the plan is foolproof. After all, they have Money Train as their guide. They're basing their belief that they can successfully rob the token booth on a Hollywood movie. In the movie, it was not a successful crime, but these robbers thought they could make it successful. Everyone seems to feel they can do a better job. And they're smarter than everyone else. But will they be able to upstage their movie idols? These teens thought that they were going to walk up, brandishing their gasoline, get the guy to give them the money, and walk off richer than they were before. But that's not what happened. 
It's Dr. J. Buzz von Ornsteiner. Did you know you can stream the Copycat Killers TV series on Roku and Fire TV? Well, you can. Just download the Reels app and subscribe to see the TV show behind this podcast. And if you've got Prime, it's on Amazon channels too. You could even find episodes about killers inspired by Breaking Bad, Hannibal, and The Dark Knight before they're released here. Plus, you'll get to see what I look like in the show. I know you're curious. Copycat Killers comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. In the movies, viewers love to root for a character with a heart of gold. And if his life were scripted, New York City transit worker Harry Kaufman would be a fan favorite. Harry seems to be an overall great guy. People really liked him. Um, And his family loved him. Harry worked hard for his family. He didn't want to be away from them on that holiday weekend. But he took the shift because he was saving money for his son's college tuition. Harry was so proud of his son. He attended a performing arts school, and he played saxophone in his band. Harry loved his son. He wanted his son to go on to college. And he wanted his son to have the opportunities that he did not have. Harry might not be the wealthiest man in New York, but he's happy. Harry's a family man, and I think his biggest sense of pride was his family. What makes Harry feel good about himself is providing for his family. Working nights down in the subways isn't the easiest job in the world. But for Harry, the money he'll be able to save is worth it. Until the early hours of November 26th, when his life changes forever. Because just like in the movie Money Train, Harry is being watched. In the movie, Chris Cooper's token booth scene starts with him ordering someone to give him the money. And then after they've had a little bit of conversation, he puts the the gasoline into the booth and lights the match. And you get a little look at his hand and you can see the amount of scars that have been done due to the damage from previous work. Harry Kaufman's Night of Terror is the copycat version of the film's most haunting scene. Brooklyn teenagers Vincent, Thomas, and James have decided that tonight is the night they're going to rob the token collector at the bed station. They decided to commit the robbery late at night because there would be very few witnesses. Most people are not riding the subway at 1 a.m. And so this was the ideal time to commit a crime and to get away with it. It's a plot straight from the movie. James is hesitant about joining in on this plot, but in the end, he thinks he can, you know, commit this crime quickly, no one gets hurt, and he'll walk away with a big chunk of change. And that's uh, appealing to him. While James keeps a lookout, Vincent and Thomas make their way toward Harry. The plan is set in motion. A few months earlier, Harry had been robbed while working his regular shift at the Atlantic Avenue station. The experience caused Harry to be very cautious while at work. They were holding a gun with a clip that has 17 shots, and that was very intimidating for Harry. Now, Harry is faced with a similar situation. 
Hey, yeah, yeah, give us the cash, old man. <laughs> old man, you won't give us his cash. Look, get out of here before I call the police. Which, in the end, will be tragically different. It's possible when the second robbery occurred, he said, not again. This is not going to happen again. And his strategy was to say no. Harry is terrified. He refuses to hand over any cash and leave his bulletproof booth. He did not get out of the booth because if he did, that left the opportunity for him to possibly be shot at. Oh man, you got three seconds. If he walked out of his booth, there was nothing standing between him and the gun. So Harry stands his ground. I don't think Harry was being defiant. I think Harry was just really scared. But for the teens, they see that as, you know, refusing to do what they tell him, refusing to give up the money. Harry's defiance angers Vincent, who takes out a can of gasoline and splashes it on Harry through the coin slot. You know the smell of gasoline, so Harry knows immediately what's all over him. And he knows immediately how vulnerable he is, even behind the bulletproof glass. And when he sees those matches, he just knows how bad this could be. He begged them, please don't do it. Harry hopes what is happening to him is just a prank, because the alternative is too grisly to bear. I'm pretty sure when Harry saw the match, he was terrified. I'm pretty sure... He thought about his life, he thought about his family, and he thought about his future. Now you can ask yourself, why doesn't he give him the money? It's very possible that when the gasoline was sprayed in, he was no longer thinking about producing the money. He was just thinking about his own life. In the movie Money Train, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson are able to stop a rogue pyro from killing their partner, Jennifer Lopez. But will Harry have the same fate? I think Harry thought that by appealing to their humanity, that would stop them. And unfortunately for Harry, these kids didn't have any humanity. Harry Kaufman is fighting to survive against three teenagers inspired by the movie Money Train. Harry was working an overtime shift in a New York City subway booth when two young men approached him and threatened to set him on fire inside his booth if he didn't hand over money. The third perpetrator, James Irons, is keeping watch from afar, but Harry never sees him. They've already sprayed gasoline through the coin slot. Harry's soaked with it, and now they're brandishing matches. If they threw a match at him, the entire booth might blow. Vincent and Thomas aren't looking for a huge haul. This was going to be probably one of the many robberies they were going to commit, but this is the one that they chose um, using gasoline and fire. Harry pleads for his life, but it falls on deaf ears. I think when Harry's confronted with these two teens, you know, with gasoline and matches, I, I, I think he had to, for at, at least at some level, think they're not going to do this. I mean, here's two teenagers, basically his son's age. The perpetrators use a match to light a cigarette. Then the fire is lit. It was an inferno in there. There was no way to move to escape them. Flames were everywhere, especially on Harry because 
His shirt was soaked in gasoline. Lighting someone on fire is an incredibly gruesome act. It's a slow, painful death, one where the individual is tortured and literally in agony. You can only imagine what that was like to be trapped in that situation. You're in a tight, enclosed space that you're using as a form of protection, but then that protective box then becomes your own torture chamber. The fire is unable to be extinguished quickly. Despite the system that the New York City had installed to protect its operators, uh, the system wasn't foolproof. It could be tampered with. And operators often covered up the sensors so they could smoke in the booth. Unfortunately, on this fateful night, the sensor in the booth that Harry was working in was covered up, and it wasn't working. Without the quick payday they expected... Vincent Ellerby and Thomas Malik know it's time to get out of the subway before they're caught. What happened in the movie parallels very closely to what happened in real life. In Money Train, the villain's hand is burnt from setting fire to a string of token booths. We saw in the exchange with the pyromaniac him rob the token booth, put in the gasoline, set it on fire. Uh... Thomas's plan, not too different, except for he was never really going to get the money, and he was burned. But that's not the only similarity between the action film and what took place that terrifying night. It's very strange, eerie, that someone would want to emulate the crimes that they've seen in in this movie, because it was four days later, so it's hard not to point at that. It's as though they're unaware of the very real consequences. At the subway station, Thomas gets rid of the evidence as he and Vincent grab their lookout, James Irons, and disappear into the night. Movies aren't like real life. Can't stress that enough. No one got a cent from what they thought would be a robbery similar to Money Train. The three men think they've gotten away with a copycat crime. Little do they know, Harry is still alive. I think Harry's thoughts were with his family, as they always were. And that drove him up those steps because he had that strong will to survive for his wife and his son. Officer Santo gets to Harry first and rushes him to the hospital. We're almost at the hospital. Stay away. When you see something like this, you know that you have to help someone. The only way that you can help Harry is to make sure you find out whoever it is that did this to him. Not only so that they're punished for this, but so that they can never, ever do this to anyone else. Harry is able to give detectives a description of his assailants before he slips into a coma. The NYPD immediately puts out an all-points bulletin for the suspects while Harry's family prays he'll make it through the night. Harry's burns are so severe, his doctors really give him little chance of surviving. Not only is he burned over 80% of his body, 
but his lungs were very damaged by the fire. As word of the attack spreads, police hope this is simply an isolated incident. But within hours after Harry's token booth was attacked, several copycat crimes are reported. This is the beginning of a string of arson attacks. This was terrifying because this meant that there could be multiple cases just like Harry's, and no one wanted to see that happen in the city of New York. All by the means of torching, as displayed in the movie Money Train. The NYPD has no idea the kind of evil they're dealing with. This was a horrible crime. This was a senseless crime that attracted the attention of the nation. Were these guys just getting started? It seems like there's a copycat serial arsonist on the loose. Are these copycats of the attack on Harry? Are they just people themselves, you know, copying the money train? Are, is this the work of a lot of people? Or is this just one group of people? We have researched the number of incidents we have had of this nature and are checking with parole to see if anyone that has been arrested has been released. And will Harry survive long enough to see his attackers brought to justice? This crime riveted the public. Um, everybody was rooting for Harry. They wanted to know how he was doing. And I think people really wanted to see him, you know, walk away from this. Just four days after the release of the action thriller Money Train, Harry Kaufman is torched inside his New York subway token booth, a crime seemingly inspired by the movie itself. Just like the pyromaniac in Money Train, these guys were able to get away without being caught for a while. And now the NYPD wonders if they have a serial copycat arsonist on the loose. The weeks after Harry's attack, there are a number of similar attacks on token boots operators. The um, similar attacks on token takers is up to eight. And police don't know where this is going to end. The New York City crime even puts pressure on Hollywood to respond. Columbia Pictures tried to play off the fact that the attacks that were happening in real life were based on subway attacks from 1988. And... People wanted them to remove the film from theaters. That was not going to happen. Although the other arsons are similar to Harry's, the police are having trouble linking the crimes. Ultimately, the police determined that the um, perpetrators in the attacks after Harry's attack are not the same. Um, the descriptions aren't the same from the people, and the intensity, the ferocity is just not there. It seems as if all is lost in the case. There was a clamoring for justice, um, and the police were working hard to find out who did this, but they didn't have a lot to go on. And then, just 14 days after the attack, Harry dies from his injuries. It was scarring. It was damaging. To see a living person suffering in the way that Harry was suffering, you know, it scars you. It, it does something to you deeply. His death sends shockwaves through both New York City and Hollywood. Woody Harrelson spoke on the attacks. 
He expressed remorse for the people who had been hurt, but also kind of went back and said, but I don't think that the mentality that it takes for this kind of a crime to happen was created by Money Train, the film. I'm sure he probably did feel badly that their movie was connected to something like that. Now, with a homicide on their hands, the search for the Money Train copycat killers eats up. This would be an especially hard scene for all cops, um, but it was especially difficult for Officer Santos, who didn't have a lot of time on the job. They were very determined to catch these robbers. There was a lot of pressure on them to catch these robbers. There was also a lot of motivation to catch these robbers. This was a horrible crime. Then police catch their big break. Finally, a neighboring precinct receives a tip that breaks the case wide open. A street source reports that he had seen James at the scene of the crime. The witness tells police she saw her neighbor, James Irons, running from the explosion with two other men. Even though this woman did not know who the other two men were, her description was very similar to the one that Harry gave the police. I think police think it's a real deal because, number one, the description matches exactly what Harry told them. Um, the number of perpetrators is the same. And this girl's from the neighborhood, so she would know who James was. Authorities think James might be their man, so they bring him in for questioning. Initially, James adamantly denies having anything to do with the crime. Take your time. I know it's tough. He claims he was with his family on the night of the crime. James's family goes as far as to provide an alibi for him. They said he could not have been there because at the time that Harry was being set on fire, James was home with us. James's mother said she actually heard the explosion of the booth. And at the time, James was warming up soup on the stove and she told him to call 911. But police aren't buying his mother's story. It's also possible, due to a mother's love, that her perception is the police don't play fair and the police don't follow the rules. And if you're not playing fair, why do I have to play fair if I need to protect my son? Eventually, he does admit being there. James finally breaks down and tells the police that it was all his friend's idea. They devised a plan to rob the token booth but he had no idea that Harry or anyone would be set on fire. Who's next? James told police it was just a pure coincidence that four days after Money Train came out, Harry was lit on fire in exactly the same way that occurred in the movie. Coincidence or not, police arrest James, Vincent, and Thomas for the murder of Harry Kaufman. A few weeks later, they all claimed they had nothing to do with the crime and that they were forced to give statements implicating themselves. Um, they were forced to, you know, admit culpability when really there was none. They said that the police um, basically beat it out of them. All three men are charged with second-degree murder and attempted robbery. 
James, Thomas, and Vincent all received 25 years to life in prison. Prosecutors wanted to charge Vincent and Thomas with capital punishment, but they were under 18 at the time. Proving who did what when three people are at the scene was going to be difficult to convince a jury because everybody's pointing fingers. So in the end, all three of them escaped the death penalty and got identical sentences of 25 years to life in prison. While James, Vincent, and Thomas state they were never inspired by the movie Money Train, some have their doubts. All of the boys deny that the movie Money Train inspired their act. But during the trial, an informant testifies that Thomas told him that the attack was inspired by the movie Money Train. I guess we'll never know for sure. Well, he doesn't want to have the film connected because there would be guilt and responsibility involved. And it's easier to say it's not connected rather than taking responsibility that it may have been connected because someone is copycatting. Regardless, Harry Kaufman's family will never look at the holidays the same again. No one deserves to die this way. And it is unfortunate that these young men um, during the Christmas holiday time would take someone's life in such a way. If you enjoyed this episode of Copycat Killers, don't forget to subscribe at Podcast One or Apple Podcasts. Then go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including chilling reenactments and crime scene photos you'll only find on Reels Channel. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. I'm Dr. J. Buzzman Ornsteiner.